Hey there, folks. Welcome to Rock and Rally Tennis, where it's all tennis, all the time. I'm James Lin. Follow us on Twitter at Rock and Rally. That's Rock underscore and underscore Rally. And on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Rock and Rally Tennis. Rock and Rally Tennis podcast episode number 171 is brought to you by CareerWonder.com, the ultimate career resource site featuring video interviews of professionals from a wide array of industries. Sharing the stories, journeys, and insights about their careers and jobs at CareerWonder.com. You know, folks, it, uh, it puts a smile on my face every time I think about how extremely fortunate we are to have been enjoying over the past decade plus, arguably the three greatest men's players of all time playing at the same time. For Djokovic and Nadal, the two players who are within striking range of Federer's record 20 Grand Slam singles titles, the question is, can they improve their respective games even as Father Time no longer lurks in the shadows but is now in clear view and gaining ground? Well, I believe the answer is yes. I strongly believe Djokovic and Nadal can each get better. Now, both Djokovic and Nadal are still at the top of the men's game. They are currently ranked number one and two, respectively. Of course, the passing of the torch to the next generation is inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. Uh, In fact, we may start to see that transition with a non-Big 3 champion uh, at the Grand Slams in 2020, but we'll see. And moreover, there's not much debate that their window to catch or perhaps surpass Federer is quickly closing. Djokovic is 32 years old, Nadal is 33. And while Federer at 38 years old and currently the number three ranked player in the world is still playing at a remarkably high level, I think it would be a stretch to expect Djokovic or Nadal to be able to sustain their current levels for another five or six years due to their respective play styles. I mean, but to do it for another two, maybe three years? Well, I think that's very feasible. For Djokovic, he has certainly endured his share of injuries in recent years. Similar to Federer and Nadal, Djokovic has found a way to return to top form each time. Although, I will say, unlike Nadal and Federer, Djokovic does not possess that one big putaway shot in his arsenal. So, in my view, he absolutely has to be in tip-top form, not just in body, but in mind, because he has to work a little harder to win points. Of course, to date, Djokovic has done pretty well for himself, having won 16 Grand Slam singles titles, adding four over the past couple of years. So, what can Djokovic do to get better? You know, the simple answer to that is, well, improve his overhead smash. In my view, shoring up his overhead will also raise the effectiveness of his net game overall. And you know, I've talked about this in previous podcasts. With all due respect to Djokovic, he is a 16-time major singles champion and one of the three best men's players ever to play the game. And he's achieved all of this despite having a rather pedestrian net game. What I'm saying is nothing new. And because Djokovic knows his overhead can be spotty and all too often when he comes to net, he's not in an ideal offensive mindset because he is conscious of his overhead. Now, this often leads to Djokovic taking a neutral to defensive volleying position. In other words, he's a little too far from the net. Now, this deep net position makes it challenging for him to be aggressive on volleys. It often forces him to have to volley up because the ball is being volleyed below the height of the net. And from a volley technique standpoint, Djokovic has a tendency to overcarve volleys even when he has the opportunity to firmly stick those volleys. You know, so with regards to Djokovic, it's pretty straightforward. If he improves his overhead, it also increases the effectiveness of his net game. At the very least, you know, uh, by virtue of him getting uh, slightly closer to net and into better volleying position because he won't be as anxious or guarded about hitting those overheads. As for Nadal, 
you know, everyone knows about his physical health, particularly his knees and so forth, you know, having bared the brunt of the brutally physical brand of tennis with which he has played all these years. You know, injuries are the major reason why throughout his career, Nadal has often missed a significant portion of the final quarter of the season. I mean, think about this. Up to this point in his career, Nadal has qualified for the year-end championships 15 times, but he's had to miss it seven times due to injury. And that said, you know, even at age 33, I believe he can still get better. You know, Nadal has done an impressive job of making some necessary and effective adjustments to his game as he's gotten older. And I've talked about this in length in previous podcasts. Going back to podcast episode 3 in January 2016, I talked about how as Nadal's quickness and mobility declined with age and wear and tear, he could really help himself by adjusting his uh, typical court position specifically to move a step or two closer towards the middle and not be all the way near the corner of his backhand side from where he was accustomed to playing. I mean, for a decade or so, opponents found it virtually impossible to find his backhand because he was always so quick and would run around the backhand to crack his forehand. But as we saw in 2015 and 16, when Nadal's quickness declined ever so slightly, his extreme forehand bias court position started to work against him often resulting in forehands that lack their usual power, pace, and penetration because opponents all of a sudden were pulling him wide on his forehand, which he could, you know, again, he was just uh, literally a, a microsecond short. Now, that enabled opponents to attack or take control of the point because Nadal's forehands, which are hit with a lot of topspin, were essentially just spinny balls rather than the usual uh, balls that he would hit with a lot of bite and a lot of bounce. Long story short, Nadal made the adjustment in court position, and as we've seen over the past three years, hell, he's won five of his 19 Grand Slam singles titles. Now that said, the one shot I believe Nadal can really improve is the backhand drive up the line. And again, I've talked about this in many previous podcasts. Overall, Nadal's two-handed backhand is rock solid, but it's too predictable, and it's not a weapon. Nadal can hit that cross-court backhand with some zip if he can flatten it out. However, the backhand drive up the line is another story. Nadal's two-handed backhand up the line is not a shot his opponents have ever really been concerned about. You know, in all the years I've been, wa- I've been watching Nadal, he has not really shown the ability to drive that two-hander up the line consistently with power, uh, particularly under pressure. You know, for Nadal fans like myself, we all remember that easy putaway backhand up the line he missed in the 2012 Australian Open Final versus Djokovic. At 30-15 up 4-2 in the fifth set, Nadal lost that game and subsequently the match. You know, in this era of the power tennis game, I believe it's very difficult to consistently beat top shelf players on faster services like hard courts and grass without a reliable backhand up the line to keep opponents from sitting on that backhand cross court. The players these days are simply too fast, too strong. I mean, think about this. The last time Nadal beat Federer on hard court or grass was in 2014 in the semifinals of the Australian Open. And the last time Nadal beat Djokovic on hard quarter grass was in 2013 in the final of the U.S. Open. Now it goes without saying, knowing a player's weakness is one thing, being able to exploit it is another. Now, that said, there are other players now besides Djokovic and Federer who are capable of exploiting this little aspect of Nadal's game. You know, we saw Sissipas do it early this year in Madrid, which of course is a very tall order against Nadal on clay. But Sissipas was able to find Nadal's backhand often enough without any real concern for the up-the-line reply from Nadal. Almost all of Nadal's backhand drives were cross-court right to where Sissipas had already moved and was waiting. You know, the bottom line here is this. 
I, I believe the respective improvements I discussed earlier will not be that difficult for either player to make. And yeah, I get it, folks. We're talking about two of the three greatest men's player ever in Nadal and Djokovic, who have won a combined 161 ATP titles, including 35 Grand Slam singles titles. And considering that both players are now in their early 30s, it's completely reasonable for anyone to ask why either player would need to improve anything at this stage of their storied careers. But like it or not, both players are still currently chasing Federer in the history books, which, by the way, are still being written. To date, Federer has won 103 titles, including 20 Grand Slam singles titles. But I believe if Nadal and Djokovic are able to make these improvements sooner than later, they'll be able to add several more notable achievements to their remarkable careers. So stay tuned. Well, that's all for this episode, folks. Thanks for joining us at Rock and Rally Tennis. Please subscribe to our podcast at rockandrallytennis.com. I'm James Lynn. See you next time.